Well, we are uh, back in the Gospel of Mark. Now, uh, just an overview. Um, we've been studying, a ser- we started a series a few weeks back called The Gospel, and we're looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. And this is the second week where we're dealing with the person of Christ. Tonight, uh, we see the Christ in Mark, according to the scriptures. So uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, as we come this evening, we thank you again for an opportunity to open your word, uh, open our eyes and our hearts and our, uh, give us understanding so that we might uh, catch the things that you have for us, so that we might have a clear understanding of the gospel and how it applies to our daily living, and then, Lord, how we might explain that to others also uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so if you look at your notes, you've got uh, the purpose of Mark's gospel is twofold. First of all, the historical significance of the gospel of Mark. Uh, Number one, it is the most neglected gospel of the four gospels. Uh, Most consider it to be the first gospel written. 90% of the stories that are in the book of Mark, you'll also find in Matthew and Luke. But... Mark's communication style is different than Matthew and Luke. Luke is a doctor. He's very specific. Uh, As you follow his stories, both in the Gospel of Luke as well as in uh, Acts, you pay attention to pronouns, not like they're doing in today's day and age. But one minute he's with Paul, the next minute it's a they because he's not with Paul, but he's doing something else. Uh, So he's very intricate in his understanding of details, and he communicates that. Uh, Matthew, of course, being uh, not just a tax collector, uh, but his uh, Hebrew name was, anybody remember? Levi. Uh, That might say something about what tribe he came from, and therefore maybe a little bit more meticulous about Uh, communicating details. And of course, his purpose was to prove that uh, Jesus was the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, Uh, Mark has a different purpose, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, One of the reasons why his uh, style might be a little bit rougher than his peers is uh, most believe that Peter is actually the one that is dictating uh, this gospel to Mark. Mark's writing it out. Uh, what kind of person was Peter? Rough-edged or smooth-edged? Yeah, he, he was like, a, open his mouth, insert both feet up to his ankles, and uh, said it the way he saw it. Sometimes that was good, sometimes maybe not so. <laughs> okay, I, I, I identify with Peter a lot. <laughs> uh, number four, uh, has more problem passages than the others and basically, again, it's, it deals with the, the way he has said things instead of um, there's not a problem with the passage. It's just he said it kind of plain and simple, and uh, the other ones kind of give you some details that, oh, okay, that makes sense now. And uh, where the other Gospels would have had uh, commentaries written on them, probably by around 300 A.D., Mark does not have a single commentary written on it until the 6th century, which would be 500 A.D., 500 and change. Uh, But today, it is the most intensely studied of the four Gospels. Uh, Whenever they're uh, translating over in Africa or wherever, uh, Mark is one of the first books they deal with. Uh, And there's a a few reasons has to do with the purpose of Mark. Um, though Luke is written to Gentiles, you would think that would be the one they'd choose. Um, but they end up choosing Mark. So that brings us to uh, the uh, purpose of uh, Mark's gospel. First of all, number two, presents Jesus's mission. First of all, as the Messiah, the Son of God. Notice, if you would, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 and... Uh, As we're going through some of these lists, I I have a bunch of verses in Mark. I'm not going to read them all. I'm going to let you uh, look at them. I uh, didn't do as good of a job as putting them all in order like I did last uh, time with Matthew. Uh, But in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, 
the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So right there is uh, Jesus' mission as the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, First of all, Mark points out his humanness. Uh, Notice there is no mention of birth, childhood, genealogy. Why? Because one of the things that Jesus is presenting by Mark here is that Jesus is a servant. And do you worry about where servants came from? Now, I imagine there's been times in history where we worried about where servants came from. Uh, check their teeth, check their genealogy, you know, that kind of... But uh, in this particular case, at this time, you don't worry about where a servant comes from. He's a slave, okay? And so uh, there's no need to put any of that in. Um, emphasizes Jesus' humanity by using the name Jesus instead of Christ or Jesus Christ, or our Lord Jesus Christ. He just, he calls him Jesus a lot of times. He emphasizes Jesus' emotions, which again brings forth his humanity. Uh, We see in chapter 7, verse 34, chapter 8, verse 12, that he was grieved, uh, sighing deeply in his spirit. Uh, One of these times is definitely dealing with the hard-headedness of the religious leaders, I think one of the other times might be dealing with his own disciples. And if you're a parent, you understand what I'm saying there. Uh, In chapter 6 and verse 34, uh, he is moved with pity or compassion. Chapter 6, verse 6, he is marveling at their unbelief. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 14, he is indignant at the conduct of his disciples. He's not appreciating the way they are acting. In chapter 3 and verse 5, he demonstrates anger with his critics. And in chapter 14, verse 33, this would be in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is deeply distressed. So uh, Mark emphasizes Jesus' emotions, again proving his humanity. He also emphasizes human characteristics. Uh, Number one, the need to be alone, chapter 1 and verse 35. Anybody ever sense that time that they just need to be away from everybody else? Uh, not when you're angry with your husband or, or your wife, but you just need some alone time. And normally that alone time is going to include prayer, uh, but uh, there is that need. Also, the need for sleep, chapter 4, verse 38. Here we are out on the middle of the lake. Storm is going like crazy. The boat is being tossed to and fro. And where's Jesus? He's down inside uh, sleeping. (laughs) Uh, How could he do such a thing? Hey, and this is probably a good lesson for all of us. Do you believe that God is in control? You know, we as Christians say that, but no one suffers with anxiety around here, right? Uh, or, or as we put it, well, I'm concerned. You know, uh, the reality is, is we're listening to uh, Proverbs in our daily reading, and it's amazing to me how many times Proverbs says, you know, the casting of the lot to figure out what's going on, but the answer is always from God. Man can plan his steps, but God is the one that directs them to where they're ultimately going to go. Has anybody ever had a plan that didn't work out? And and we want to get upset about that. We get angry. We get worried. uh, And the reality is, is God is in control. Now, Jesus, being God, but fully dependent upon his Father, just like we are, is at complete rest in the bottom of the boat, not worrying, because this is not the way I'm going out. Now, none of us can say this is not the way I'm going out, but, hey, when it's time to go, are you somehow stopping it? Give me another half hour, Lord. No, there, there is none of that. And so the very things that very often we worry about, trust God. I mean, if you think about how many times God says that's really 
what it's all about. Let me see. The, the just shall live by faith, okay? Uh, in, in the, um, when you go back to the Garden of Eden, you're going to trust my word. I've given you all this stuff. You need from all of it except. In that day, in dying, you will surely die. Believe me or not. Uh, well, you know, this guy said it was really good for food and it'd make me wise and I'd be more like you. Uh, yeah, see, it's, it's a matter of trust. So we can learn a lot from following Jesus' example there. Uh, so he demonstrates a need for sleep. He demonstrates a need to pray. In John, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 46, uh, again, here you are, God the Son in human flesh, and you need to pray. Here we are, humans in human flesh. What is one of the hardest disciplines in the Christian walk? Praying. I really don't need. <clears throat> okay, let's take that back a step. Maybe we do. Maybe we need to remember that he is our Abba Father, and he doesn't want us to lean on our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him. He'll, he'll get us through it. He'll direct our paths. Okay, and then, of course, uh, the last uh, human characteristic, loneliness. Mark chapter 10 and verse 32. So uh, not only is his humanness presented, but also his divinity and ministry. So this is the Son of God. Uh, first of all, his baptism is underscored with the Father's proclamation in chapter 1 and verse 11, uh, repeating uh, a little bit, in concept at least, what uh, Psalm 2, 7, and 12 says. Uh, he said, This is my beloved Son, uh, beloved, approved of, in whom I am well pleased. Uh, when we were all baptized, did anybody hear that? When you were baptized? Now, guaranteed, we're totally accepted in the beloved, uh, Ephesians 1, 6, but it's because of the imputed righteousness, not because we got it all right. Where in Jesus' case, he got it all right. Okay, Psalm 2-7 says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. A little bit further along in the passage, chapter 2, verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Now, I want you to think about that verse for just a moment, because how does uh, um, Psalm 2 begin? Why do the nations rage and they imagine a vain thing? And here he is, kiss the sun, and he ends up this verse, blessed are those who put their trust in who? In him, in the sun. You know, people talk about the Old Testament is all about Jehovah. It's kind of like, yeah, there's a couple of verses back there that it's obvious Jehovah is not in this thing alone. We've got the Spirit moving upon the waters. Here, you, you want to trust in the Son. And the concept of kiss, um, is that a flippant thing? I mean, how many people do you kiss in a day? One, that's right. Now, if you got grandchildren around or something like that, but uh, I mean, even when you have children, you might give them a kiss on the forehead, on the side of the head, stuff like that. But for the most part, when we're talking about kissing, we're talking about intimacy. And so he is saying, look, you have to be in this intimate relationship with the son. Why? Because the nations are raging, they're imagining a vain thing, and if you are not in this intimate relationship with him, he's going to be angry, and you're going to perish in the way. Kind of, woo. So uh, that is uh, the first thing we see here. Uh, with John the baptizer as his forerunner, as uh, predicted in the Old Testament, uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. The word immediately, it, it's... I guess you can say it's a key word in the Gospel of Mark. Immediately. 
Uh, and it's basically speaking of the urgency of Jesus' ministry. It's used 41 times in 16 chapters. That's almost three times per chapter. And of course, if you're going to go and look at it, for the most part, immediately Jesus got up and went and did this. He went and did that. That goes back to the concept of him uh, being on a mission, being the servant of the Lord, and uh, uh, doing what needs to be done now. Uh, That brings us, last of all, to the title, Son of Man. Again, how many chapters in the Gospel of Mark? 16, 14 times you see the title Son of Man used in Mark. It is used in the Old Testament as a synonym for man or mankind. Psalm 8, 4 says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Psalm 144, verse 3. Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Both of them basically saying, compared to God, mankind isn't worth paying attention to, and yet God does so. Now, the interesting thing is, here, Mark is using the Son of Man to talk about Jesus' humanness. We're going to see later that I believe Luke uses it to talk about his humanness, but it's also a uh, title that proves his deity from the book of Daniel. So we'll, we'll look at that another time. Um, yeah, well, I have got it right there. It's used in Daniel's definitely uh, deals with his divinity, uh, but it is used by Jesus of himself to indicate authority, victory, lowliness, and suffering. So the key word in this section, the first uh, eight chapters of uh, Mark, is the word authority. It emphasizes the use of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is there as my servant, the Holy One of Israel, the Blessed One, who is human, but he's serving. Uh, He is God, but uh, here uh, the, the thought is, in the kingdom of God, Jesus has Authority. It refers to his divine sovereign authority. Going back to the concept of God being sovereign. Now, within theology, there are a variety of subjects that are difficult to understand. One of those is uh, the decrees of God. We know, according to Revelation 13.8, that Jesus was crucified from when? Before the foundations of the earth. In other words, before God created the world, it's already in the mind of God, and so much so that it's like it's already done, that Christ was going to be crucified to pay for sin. Now, that tells us that God's decree is Christ is going to become a man, live the perfect life, and then die to pay the wage of sin. Okay? That's his decree. Now, before it happened, he knew about it. Once Jesus gets here, apparently he understands certain things about it. But we don't know what all of God's decrees are until they happen. Years ago, I was going through a a book in our family devotions by Arthur W. Pink, and I think it's called The Attributes of God. It might be called something else. But each chapter was three pages long. And basically, it was not light theology. And when we got to one particular chapter, it was dealing with the decrees of God, which whenever you try and understand it, you, it's difficult enough because you're finite, you're human, God is infinite. <laughs> you know, he, he knows it all. In fact, he says, you know, I declare it to you now before it happens so that when it happens, you'll know I'm God. But uh, we get in the chapter and basically the point that really stood out was you don't know what all the decrees of God are unless he tells you what they are or until it happens. So the next day, now Hannah at that time is seven years old. The next day I go to the refrigerator and being the normal fleshly person that I could be, 
Uh, when I opened the door, a few things fell out. I think something broke, spilled all over the place. And of course, she's right there, so I'm having to uh, control my tongue, <laughs> chewing on it. And uh, she goes, Daddy, why are you upset? God decreed it to happen. At the time, my wife was saying, why are we studying this book? This is too hard for kids. <laughs> and it, it might have been, but that was a simple enough lesson. See, when we're talking about the sovereignty of God, we are talking about he is in full control of everything. When you mess up, you didn't get out of his control. And no, you can't blame him, you know, because now you've got to go to Romans chapter 9. Uh, who are you, old man, to question the potter when you're the pot, you know, uh, that kind of thing. But uh, he is in complete sovereign control. He has that sovereign authority. Uh, the kingdom of God, or the word authority, is uh, used 15 times in Mark. Uh, it's used to forgive sins. He has the authority to forgive sins in chapter 2, verse 10. He has authority over the Old Testament law, chapter 2 and verse 27. He has authority over the tribes of Israel by calling the 12 disciples, chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Now, what's interesting about that is, which one was from which tribe? Anybody know? Isn't it interesting that he never tells us that? But I'll bet, this is just my thinking here, that there's probably one from each of the tribes within those 12. Why? Because they're going to rule over those 12 tribes when the kingdom comes, right? And I, I don't know that you're going to necessarily have, well, you might have had 12 from Judah, but oh well. <laughs> you know, uh, just an interesting thought there. Uh, he has authority over his creation, chapter 4, verses 39 and 41. He has authority over demons, uh, and that's chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, dealing with the uh, legion. Interesting meme you might have seen on Facebook or one other uh, social media was that the demons use the pronouns they, them, us, we. In today's day and age, when we want to pick our own pronouns, uh, interesting that some would want to choose those same ones. Uh, just something to think about there. He has authority over disease, chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. And he has authority over death, chapter 5, verses 35 to 43. And of course, this section concludes with Peter's confession in chapter 8, 29. Uh, Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay? So that brings us to the second half of the book, letter B, uh, Christ's mission as the Old Testament's suffering servant of Isaiah 53, starting in Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 16, 8. So starting in chapter 8, verse 30, Jesus predicts his own death three times in three chapters. Now, why is this interesting? Well, when it finally comes, were the disciples surprised? Oh, yeah. They were clueless almost, you might say. Uh, they, they thought the kingdom was coming. Uh, not unlike the people. A week before he's crucified, what are the people saying? Hosea, uh, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the guy. This is the guy. And yet, uh, a week later, crucify him, we have no king but Caesar. In Mark 8, 30 and 31, it says, Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Chapter 9, verse 31. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, for they will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise the third day. Now, maybe it's because he's speaking in the third person here. Uh, he, he, he. Kind of like he's been using Son of Man 
all this time, so it's not unusual. <coughs> Excuse me. Chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed, and as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will betray, be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. So I don't know about you, but those are all pretty clear. Now, we are playing Monday morning quarterback. We're looking back on what's happened. Spiritually, are we so sharp that when we see something in the Word of God, we just, yeah, I got that? Or do we normally have to go through the rows of failure before we finally, oh, I get it now? See what I'm saying? And one of the reasons why I say this is because it is so easy to look at the disciples and say, duh, when in reality, we, uh, someone could look at us and say the same kind of thing. Uh, I was, Lynn and I were talking on the way in, uh, looking back in our history. Uh, we got some good news today. Uh, Hannah is pregnant, and uh, they, this baby and Ida will be 21 months apart. Um, and Joseph, I mean, Jonathan and Rachel were 21 months apart. And uh, we had just moved up to Kansas City, and uh, Lynn gets pregnant. Uh, I'm still in school. Uh, she's teaching. And he is born two days after I graduate from college. Hallelujah, I finally graduated. I took the seven-year route. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, a couple of years in, in there that I wasn't in school. But... Uh, uh, so Ida May and whoever's coming along uh, will be the same distance apart. And we were thinking about uh, when we first moved up to Kansas City, one of the couples that was in Bible college uh, put us up for a couple weeks. And we had to get some papers together and apply for our own apartment at the place where all the married students lived. And it took a little bit more time than they would have liked. Um, and, you know, when we're in Bible college... I didn't have a job initially. I got a job. I worked part-time job at Sears. I was making 20 bucks an hour back in 87 um, because they gave you a base pay and commission, and I sold a lot of junk. <laughs> but junk that people wanted, mind you. But uh, um, it, it was so easy to look at other people and judge them according to what their circumstances were. And back then, women did not work out of the home. Now, women did work outside of the home, but if you were a good Christian, you just didn't do that. And you know, it's easy to say when you're not in the circumstances that kind of require the help. Uh, Lynn has not had to work outside of the home since about shortly thereafter. Uh, but, uh, you know, like I say, it's just so easy to judge according to some human rule. When you come back to what we were just looking at here, uh, we find out that we're spiritually dull. We don't always get it until God kind of smacks us a little bit with our own failures. And then it's kind of like, oh. So if we don't figure it out for ourselves, how is it so easy to figure it out for everybody else? Just free lesson there for you. <laughs> okay, so that brings us down to Jesus' own words of his purpose in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So it is quite obvious in the second uh, half of the Gospel of Mark, that part of his mission was to fulfill the fact that he was the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Notice the word ransom here means something to loosen with, a redemptive price and atonement. And uh, it pays for the sins to restore people to a right relationship with God. 
this morning in Sunday school, we were looking at um, Romans chapter 6. Now, we're in the book of Galatians, but it, it applied to what we were looking at in Galatians. And uh, Sandy White read uh, verses 3 through 7. And uh, you see the concept of we were baptized into Christ's death. Uh, into, we were baptized into his burial. And as he was raised again, we also are raised again to walk in newness of life. And there's a couple other verses there, three more verses after that, uh, that basically say the same thing in different ways. And my point to them was, look, these words, when it says we're no longer slaves to sin or that uh, we're baptized into his death, what it means is we are no longer legally bound to the uh, to sin as our master. We still have the law of sin in our members. That's chapter 7. Uh, we've been freed so that we would walk in newness of life, but again, it's a process whereby we grow and learn, and, and usually when there's learning involved, there's failure involved. And I am in no way trying to justify sin. I'm tired of preachers talking about salvation as though all of a sudden everything's going to be good, hunky-dory, you're not going to blow it anymore. And at least in my experience, and someone might have looked in from the outside and said, ain't sure that guy's saved, but at least in my experience, spiritually dull as, you know, whatever, uh, and didn't get it right away. It took years on some of the junk that I had been wrapped up in before I was saved, before I learned, developed the spiritual muscles, understood my need for the walk with the Lord so that I could overcome those things. And uh, so if you're struggling in your spiritual walk, first thing, who are you trusting in for what? You know, that kind of thing. But after that, understand that failure is part of it. Now, it doesn't excuse you. You still got to get up and confess it and get things going again. But this uh, ransom puts us back into a right relationship with God. Number three, keeping his messianic secret. And we've already read one of these verses, chapter 8, verse uh, 30, I believe it is. Yeah, then he strictly warned them they should tell no one about him. That's when they figured out uh, who he was. But uh, his messianic secret, secret, number one, his first public disclosure is one week before he's crucified. He's not going around telling everybody that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, uh, or anything like that. And that's found in chapter 11, verses 1 to 11, uh, which, of course, is a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. That's where he's riding in on the colt, the d- colt of a donkey, that kind of thing. Um, but notice he silences demons in chapter 1, verse 25, verse 34, chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, chapter 5, verse 7. They knew who he was. You, you might remember when he approached Legion. Um, why are you here? Are you going to punish us before our time? Who's punishing demons? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, And how many times uh, did they call him uh, in essence, son of man from the deity perspective, uh, not the human perspective. And so he's silencing them. Uh, he is si- trying to silence the people that he healed in chapter 1, verse 44, chapter 5, verse 43, chapter 7, verse 36, chapter 8, verse 26. You know, one guy, he heals and he goes, go your way and make the sacrifice. And the guy starts, hallelujah, look what he did for me. It's kind of, you know, trying to keep the tone down. Why? He wants people not to look to him as the prophet, the Messiah that was going to overthrow Rome. He wants to capture their hearts and get them to put their trust in God. And of course, uh, uh, we're still in that mode. And then, of course, he silences his disciples there in chapter 8, verse 30, and chapter 9. Verse 9, he doesn't want them to tell what they know. Because of the expectation of the Jews, what were the Jews looking for? They were looking for a warrior Messiah king. They're looking for a kingdom 
And again, why did the disciples not hear, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again three days later? Why didn't they hear that? Because, hey, we're going to be reigning with him in the kingdom. We're looking for the kingdom. He's going to overthrow Rome and all those religious leaders. They're going to be peons in our kingdom. We're going to be doing it. And uh, yeah, the people had those expectations. And no, that's not why I'm here this time. Okay? Uh, In order to fulfill his true suffering role of the Messiah. Let me read some Old Testament passages for you. Psalm 40, verses 6 through 10. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Now, when I read that passage, I'm, I'm going to immediately, in my mind, go back to Leviticus, and it's kind of like, uh, excuse me, yes, he did. And the idea is not so much that he gave the law and all of the ceremonial uh, law and stuff like that. The idea is none of that could ever take care of washing away sin. It covered sin, covered the the transgressions against the law on the mercy seat, the blood sprinkled on that mercy seat, but none of it could ever take care of washing sin away. And so that's what he's emphasizing here. Uh, You did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. This is basically Jesus talking about the Old Testament. In the scroll of the book, it's all about me, okay? He goes on to say, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness (coughs) in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourselves know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Basically saying, everywhere I went, I said the things that needed to be said. I spoke the truth about who you are, what you're like, and uh, what you require of people. In Psalm 42, verse, I mean Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Now, I don't know about you, but this is Isaiah 42, probably written somewhere around um, 725, 730 B.C., and God's already saying, we're opening this puppy up to the Gentiles, not just for Jews. How is it going to happen? Through my servant. So, uh, Isaiah forty-two nineteen. Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf as my messenger that I sent? Who is blind as he that is perfect? The blind as our Lord's servant. And again, he's not blind in the sense that he doesn't see. He's not looking at the sin of the people. He is there to demonstrate compassion and mercy and God's loving kindness. Uh, As far as his being deaf, again, not talking about what he's hearing, he's not listening to uh, the pressures of the religious leaders or anything like that. He's there to do God's will, period. Isaiah 49.6, And he said, It is a light thing that... Uh, you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preser- uh, preserved of Israel. I will also give thee as a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Again, God's plan has always been to include uh, those of us that are not Jewish uh, in, in his redemptive plan. And there we go. These papers are all stuck together here. <laughs> okay. And then we have Isaiah 52, 13 and 14. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. 
Now, uh, most of us are aware of verse 14, where his visage was marred more than any man, uh, his form more than the sons of men. Um, Mel Gibson put out uh, The Passion of Christ uh, several years back, and he's putting out another one soon, talking about the resurrection of Christ, which personally, I think for a Catholic, uh, go for it. Uh, Hopefully he gets it right. Uh, But... um, when uh, Jim Caviezel, thank you, I had to, Cascavel, no, it's Caviezel, uh, played the part of Christ in uh, The Passion, they actually did a pretty decent job of showing what he might look like after being beat by Roman soldiers. Now remember, he was whipped by Roman soldiers, not by Jewish So the rules of the Jews were 40 times, and in case we miscount, let's only do it 39. That was not the rule of the Romans. When the Romans beat a man, they knew how to beat a man to within an inch of his life. Now they got to deal with God. And God says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Now, that has more significance when he's being beaten and when he's being whipped in the sense that they couldn't get him to an inch of his life. Now, even after all of that, his physical body not only showed the damage that was done, but you know he had a hard time carrying a 125-pound beam uh, half a mile, which I don't know about you, but that's not as easy as anybody wants to make it sound like. But here he'd been up all night. He had been beaten severely so that Isaiah's uh, prophecy would be made true. And then, of course, in verse 15 of that same passage, uh, kings shall shut their mouths at him for what they had uh, not been told uh, they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Uh, What Christ went through, anyone that's faced with the gospel has to deal with, oh, okay, okay? And then, of course, Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, I personally like that verse. And the reason is, is Isaiah is warned, so is Jeremiah, at the beginning of their ministry, that you're going to be ministering to people that are not going to hear. In fact, I'm going to close their ears. You're not going to have converts. And as I have been involved in the benevolence ministry this time for 19 years, the previous time for a few years. Uh, The reality is, is I shared the gospel with a lot of people. In fact, I've shared the gospel with a lot of people a few times. And I don't see the gospel making a dent in many of their their thinking. Um, Every now and again, I'll get someone's hand wow, that was really interesting. I've never heard it like that before. Can I come to church here? Sure. They're not here, okay? Um, And the reason why I take comfort in this verse is, hey, look, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament didn't have any converts. Who, Who has believed our report? Nobody. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Nobody. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness that when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. We didn't give him any credence for things that he said, the things that he did. I mean, here he is performing miracles, miracles that no one has ever done. And it's kind of like, we got to get rid of this guy. See what I'm saying? So, yeah, we did not esteem him, give him his proper glory. Uh, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Uh, What he went through, that was God taking care of him because he was a sinner. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. 
and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. Now, there were times in Bible college where I learned great things. And there were times when, what? I mean, it's right there in English. I can read it, okay? This was one of those verses. It's kind of like, yeah, it doesn't mean that. You know, I, I don't like to argue theology, but that's what it says. No, notice what it says here again. Um, and the pleasure of the Lord shall pro- no, 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 okay, please God to uh, bruise him, um, when you, who's you, whoever's reading this, listening to it, when you make his, who's his? Well, the suffering servant, the one that we didn't esteem. Okay? When you make his soul an offering for sin. Now, it, it may be talking about when God makes his soul an offering for sin. Cool. No problem with that. But. The reality is, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. Guess what? My days have been prolonged. Not in the sense that, wow, you're 63, you're that old? No, 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 no. I I have eternal life. (laughs) Uh, Okay? Because before I had eternal death. That's where I was going. And now I have eternal life. My my days have been prolonged, okay? Uh, He goes on to say, Um, And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. God looking down at what Jesus was going through, and he is satisfied, or if you will, he became the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction for our sins. Okay? It goes on. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So that's the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. But he's not the only one that talks about it. Ezekiel 34, 23 and 24. And I will set up my uh, one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. Even my servant David, he shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And the Lord, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken it. Ezekiel 37, 24 and 25. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall uh, have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto uh, Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Um, The the interesting thing about David is uh, David died. Now, he's going to be raised again. And there's question as to, are we talking about David ruling in Jerusalem on the earth during the millennial kingdom under Christ ruling from the new Jerusalem? Or in these passages, is he referring to Christ as David? Uh, There's some question about that. I'm not sure yet. When I figure it out, I'll tell you. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But, uh, and then of course... Uh, do I have Zechariah? Zechariah 3.8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. So all, all of these Old Testament passages deal with God's servant. Mark is dealing with 
God's suffering servant, especially the second half of his book. So that brings us to number four, provoking the religious leaders. In chapter 11 of Mark 1 to 11, uh, we have the second cleansing of the temple. Now this happened in John chapter 2, earlier in his ministry. Um, Here we go. I got to get my two cents in there. One of the things that we as Christians have a tendency to do is try and put God in a box. You know, when Jesus cleansed the temple, he was flipping tables over. He was chasing people out with a whip. And we say, well, that was righteous anger. Everybody says it. Hmm. Ephesians chapter 4 says, verse 25, 26. Be angry and do not sin. What does that tell me? Things are going to happen in life that are going to get you angry. Make sure your responses are not sinful. I'm sorry, I don't believe in righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Because every time I get angry, it's unrighteous anger. No, it isn't. It's an emotion. We all have them. What I do in my anger will be righteous or unrighteous. Jesus' righteous actions, kicking all these people out of the temple. Why? Because my house will be called a house of prayer. And you all are messing up people's worship. God is not being worshipped because these people are coming with their own little lambs. Nothing wrong with their little lambs, but we can't use that one. You've got to buy one from the temple. Okay, there's nothing wrong with this lamb, but I'll buy one from the temple because I've got to have a lamb. So I go and buy one from the temple. Problem is, they don't take my debit card because it's got to be bought in the temple uh, money. So now I have to go over here and do an exchange rate where I'm being, excuse the expression, screwed financially. And then I take this money now. I'm mad because they didn't let me use my lamb. I'm mad because I just spent that much more to do this whole thing. And by the time I get ready to bring my lamb to the high priest, there is no heart of worship. There is anger because I have been ripped off. And Jesus cleanses the temple because this is ruining what God deserves in this place. His behavior was righteous. Okay? But believe me, he was angry. Okay? And the, the reason why I say that is, again, don't just buy into everything that everybody says. Everybody talks about righteous anger, unrighteous anger. No. Anger's anger. What you do with it, that's righteous or unrighteous. If you go to uh, what comes out of the mouth all Jesus lists are behavior, behavior, behavior. Why? Because behavior comes from the heart. Okay? And so, uh, I'm sorry, it's it just one of those things that kind of gets me. Stop putting God in a box, okay? Um, stop buying into everything that comes along. So, the second cleansing of the temple, that's a provoking of the religious leaders. He did it twice, not just once. Uh, controversies with the religious leaders. Chapter 11, verse 27 to 33. Chapter 12, verses 13 to 37. This is where people are trying to tell Jesus, shh, don't say anything. Just pretend that they're right. Now, why is that important? Because that's the very attitude we're seeing. Yes, even in the church in America today, big uh, Baptist pastor down in Texas, you know, you should just wear a mask because it's showing love for your neighbor. It doesn't do a thing to prevent them from getting COVID, but it's showing love to your neighbor. Now, the line in the middle there, that was totally mine, okay? Uh, it's brotherly love. It's kind of like, you know, just don't say anything. Just comply. Romans 13, just obey the government. I'm sorry, that's not what it means. We've become pacifistic in the church to the point where ah, people get offended when I share the gospel, so I'm not going to share the gospel. No. They're going to get offended. It, it is a message that says, you're a sinner and you deserve to die and go to hell forever. 
you think you're going to be able to pass that off as not being offensive. And let's face it, if they get offended, they might spit on you. Maybe they'll beat you up. Maybe they'll pull a gun and shoot you, but it's going to be an AR-15, guaranteed. Okay? Uh, whole point being is what's going to happen? You're going to heaven. What's your problem? Okay? So uh, we, we don't want to be like so many want us to be. Just, just be quiet. No, no, no. He actually provoked the religious leaders. Parables indicating that the religious leaders were the problem. And I don't know about you, but if you go and read some of those parables where it's obvious that he's talking about the religious leaders, I don't think they didn't understand. I think they understood perfectly well that he's talking about us. Kind of like, whew. Okay, again... And, and you can sit there, yeah, but that was Jesus. We shouldn't do that. Stop it. Okay. Um, how about their response to all that? They plot to kill him. Chapter 11, verse 18. Chapter 12, verse 12. Chapter 14, verse 1. The events that follow all of this provoking, Judas's, uh, Judas's betrayal, Jesus's arrest. Unlawful trials. <coughs> Excuse me. Anybody know what time they had him on the cross? It says, I think it's in the Gospel of John, that it was the third hour. That's 9 a.m. A capital trial had to happen during the day in a public setting. He had six trials where they're escorting him across town a couple of times. All of them illegal according to the Jewish people's own rules. Doesn't matter. It's kind of like our government today. Doesn't matter what the Constitution says. Uh, Peter's betrayal, Mark chapter 14, verses 29 through 31. And we, we don't like the word betrayal, so we'll say denial. <laughs> and then, of course, we sit there and say, well, I, I wouldn't do that. Every time you sin, you're denying Christ. Yes, you would. Okay? And then, of course, we have the crucifixion, the rejection from God's own people. We have no king but Caesar. And God's abandonment. Uh, Mark 15, 34. Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, the completion of Jesus' service as the servant of God. The victory of the resurrection. Mark chapter 16. Now, within uh, Mark's presentation of the Christ as the servant, uh, you can get into all of the the difficulties of Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. Uh, is it part of Mark's original writing? Because these people are getting bitten by snakes and nothing's going to do with it. And of course, look at what's happening over in the uh, Appalachian Mountains and stuff like that. Uh, hey guys, th those aren't things to really get too caught up in. You recognize that maybe part of it was added at a later time. But we know the rest of it's good. How do we know that? How many manuscripts do we have of the New Testament? Over 6,000. And many of them are duplicates. So we get to see the duplicating process over the years. And we know that we have a good Bible. Okay? As far as things that may have been added, do they affect the doctrine of salvation? What we call soteriology. Not a bit. If someone wants to pick up rattlesnakes, and I'm sorry, I like snakes, okay? I have no problem picking up snakes. Now, I'm going to be very careful, make sure I got their head, grab it behind the neck and all that kind of stuff. But I've never picked up a rattlesnake until it was dead. <laughs> um, I, I'm just not going to do that. Well, you don't believe God? Sure. Where does he ask me to do it? You know, we, we see Paul... Throwing some wood into the fire, a snake jumped out because of the heat and bit him. Nothing happened to him, just like Mark says. Cool. Did Paul go over and pick the snake up and say, Hey, I just wanted to talk to you about Jesus? No. Uh, so, uh, if people want to do that, I, I guess that's between them and God. Okay. But uh, I wouldn't worry about the difficult passages. Let's understand that Mark presents Jesus as God's servant. He's on a mission. He fulfilled the mission. Hallelujah. Questions, thoughts?
Let's close in prayer and go play basketball. How's that sound? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your wonderful love and care for us. To be reminded of all that Christ went through, at least in this short little book, it is amazing to us that so much energy and time and effort was put into saving wretches like us. We thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, for the victory of the resurrection. And we pray, Lord, as we continue this study, that you would open our eyes to not only understanding better the gospel, but uh, how to live it out in our day-to-day so that we might honor and glorify you in all that's said and done. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.